start, I think that we should introduce ourselves. My name's Molly. And I'm Eve. And we've kind of been forced to make a podcast on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, if you don't know who Sherlock Holmes is, he's a widely known British detective. He's known to be one of the best fictional detectives of all time. He's a fictional character created by author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the late 1800s. He's used Sherlock in four novels and 56 short stories. But Sherlock has been adapted hundreds of times due to his renowned character. Just to name a few, some include The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Elementary and Sherlock Gnomes. The Sherlock Gnomes adaptation is really similar in a way to VeggieTales' take on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes and the Golden Ruler, because they're both children adaptations aimed towards a younger audience. VeggieTales is customarily a Christian-based animation, usually recreating Bible stories aimed towards children. Typically, Sherlock Holmes' books are targeted to an older audience, but they did a good job in adapting that towards the younger generation. I think the most obvious change in this Sherlock version is that the main characters are now vegetables. Yeah, Sherlock is now a cucumber called Sherlock Holmes and Watson is a tomato. But for those who have watched this children's adaptation, you may have noticed that the whole dynamic has changed between the two vegetables characters. Of course, yes. In the original Sherlock Holmes book, Sherlock is considered the smarter one who solves the case with the help of Dr Watson. Um, but now it's Sherlock is now the dumb one and Dr Watson seems to be the smart one. Sherlock Holmes can barely do anything for himself in this adaptation and Dr Watson solves a considerable amount of the case all by himself because he has all the knowledge and the skills. Yeah, exactly. And something that's been cleverly done is that Sherlock Holmes' name being adapted to Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, because if you break the name Sherlock, Sherlock into two words, it's sheer and luck. And when you think about it, it's a clever metaphor being used because Sherlock Holmes is solving the case of sheer luck. When you imagine the original Sherlock Holmes setting, I think of it quite dark, but when you watch the VeggieTales one, it's much more bright. To catch children's attention, I would say, and they've made it into a musical as well, and a comedy that has been done to add that extra level of engagement. Another thing that I've noticed is that Sherlock, uh, Sherlock's iconic pipe now blows bubbles instead of smoke. Yeah, it's kind of like an adult reference. Also, I noticed that in Doyle's story, it was always told in Watson's view, but in this you get a sense of many viewpoints from all the different characters, as this adaptation is primarily in third person. Yeah, and the whole moral of the story has changed as well. It was less about the case itself and more about VeggieTales' model of treating people with kindness. Yeah, no, I agree. But I still ensured the concept of Sherlock Holmes was maintained as the setting was the same because it was set in Baker Street in Britain during the 1800s. You can make this analysis by the building structure shown and the costumes worn. And the way they spoke is the language choice with the original setting being evident when Sherlock says, you won't have to hear the howling dogs of Baker Street. It's more relaxed with the word choicing compared to Doyle's original stories. But they still manage uh, maintain big words and more sophisticated words like scandalous and precludes. And strenuous. Yeah, and I even heard them say metamorphous. I think to be more educational, there are many direct references to Sherlock Holmes' original novels. Like when Sherlock says The Game of Foot, which is a reference to the short story The Adventure of the Abbey Grange. This is done to show more authenticity towards the original books. Yeah, and even just the title of VeggieTales Virgin, which is Sherlock and the Golden Ruler, which is an obvious reference to the adventure of, gold, of the Golden Prince Nez, one of Sherlock Holmes' short stories. I think the underlying message that Sherlock Holmes' cartoon represents is to give an educational yet fun lesson towards the children audience. Definitely, the lesson being treat others the way you would like to be treated. You see that through Sherlock not giving Watson the appreciation he deserves. Sherlock takes all the credit and Watson doesn't get recognised for his part in investigations. The overall point of this being adapted is the way is to educate children about Sherlock Holmes, but while doing that, teaching them an important lesson. And they still stay true to their Catholic tone of treating everyone with kindness, which is something that everyone 
that every child should learn as growing up, and that being that being believed to be the same intention of the adaptation. Well, that's it from us. Bye. Bye. This is all good. I'm Eve and today I'm reviewing Gary Marshall's The Princess Diaries through critical perspectives. If you haven't seen the movie, The Princess Diaries is another one of those countless present day attempts to redefine the Western society's view on the classic princess portrayal. An attractive princess waiting for a prince charming, but instead centers around a young, clumsy, awkward and low maintenance Neothenopolis, who has no idea she's intended to be a princess first in line queen of a fictional small European country said to be located somewhere between France and Spain. In 2001, there was an apprentice movie with these aspects, so understandably she became a role model for these young girls around the world. Growing up, I regularly watched The Princess Diaries. At the time, I couldn't and didn't detect the diminishing underlying messages, but by re-watching the film in a critical perspective allowed me to see this clearly. For example, Mia's change of appearance Turning from a quirky outsider to a stereotypical girly girl really complicates the idea of the Princess Diaries' main moral being always to stay true to yourself and also contradicts the idea that the movie is a feminist piece. Although watching the movie in the most basic feminist lens, we see a young girl who overcomes setbacks and even systemic issues to become a princess. She comes from a single-income family, she isn't stereotypically pretty, she has, fr- she has frizzy hair, overgrown eyebrows and wears glasses. This is supposed to create diversity and representation. Young girls with these features are supposed to watch this and think of her as a great representation, even though we watch her become a new person physically, and she's still supposed to be a great role model for these girls. But what do we expect when it's directed by a male? It seems even though this is a movie supposedly targeted for young female audience, Marshall appears to be trying to please a male audience still. Rewatching the movie in a Marcus perspective made clear to me this isn't a feminist text. I felt silly that I would watch this movie on repeat as a little girl. I was supposed to feel empowered because an awkward girl with undesirable features becomes a princess. In comparison to other Disney princess movies of girls who didn't need makeovers, Mia may not seem like the ordinary Disney princess. Mia is described as a third-rate feminist princess, but comparing her to the typical Disney princess, she leans more towards the royal Disney stereotype and similarities. Since she's white, heterosexual, non-disabled and slim, but because of her lifestyle and non-fairy tale contraception, her being intelligent and being a self-acclaimed feminist, this doesn't really fit into the perfect Disney storyline and leads the audience to believe she's different from these other toxic princesses. At the time of the film, I could understand why it could be a feminist text. She's smart, clumsy and living with a single mum in a studio apartment, but as the movie continues, we see the seemingly celebration of contradiction has become more of a predictable promoting of stereotypical femininity. She's grown out of her awkward face and changing her looks, giving her more confidence in becoming a princess. Looking through a feminist, uh, looking through a feminist lens at the Queen's Princess Lessons, where Mia's grandmother teaches Mia how to sit in public, correct her posture, and correctly wave, when we know this is only to please the media and has nothing to do with running a country. The lack of girls supporting girls in this film also majorly contradicts the idea this is supposed feminist text. The only really girl we see supporting Mia in the scary transition is her mother. But she isn't seen much in the film, so really the only support young girls see while watching The Princess Diaries is Lily and her grandmother's supposed comfort. 
At the beginning of the movie, the grandmother is seen as stern and a sole ruler of her country, seemingly pro-feminist, but as the movie continues, we see her grow closer to Mia and realising her potential, but only her physical cha- but only after a physical change can we see her actually enjoy her presence. And for the most part, we don't see any support from Mia's best friend, Lily. She can't seem to listen to Mia's problems or show any sympathy, even when it came to Mia's father's death, expecting her to be over his death in a few months. And for the most part, it's just rude and belittling to Mia. But these women are supposed to have been the support Mia needed to come to the decision she would take on the role of being a princess. Leading the young audience to come to the conclusion these are supportive side characters when they're really just toxic. One of the things I think Gary Marshall displayed well in the movie was the depiction of women in the media. Looking at the scene at the beach in the Marcus lens, where we see Mia being used over and over again for media attention really demonstrated how easily stories in the media about women can be twisted. We see the connections between real princesses like Princess Diana and Meghan Markle, both women who were equally depicted in the news poorly to a great extent. But he really missed an opportunity to have Mia and her grandmother bond over the incident, but instead the grandmother distances herself and condemns Mia, not even giving her a chance to explain herself. As a woman in the public eye, like a granddaughter, this would have been a great moment to see the two connect and even give her advice, as I'm sure she would have shared similar experiences. That would have demonstrated to the young audience that this isn't just some misogyny Disney invented, but it's very much real in the media and girls need to support girls. Looking at the Princess Diaries from a feminist perspective again, I can understand how Mia Fnopolis may be a role model to a younger audience. Barry Marshall really put emphasis on Mia's lack of control she has over her life and her future. As many can relate to this and her awkward and inappropriate incidents and can even provide comfort for many viewers. Looking at the movie through a psychological lens allows me to analyse Mia's behaviour and attitude to discovering she's a princess and one of the main reasons the Princess Diaries is considered a feminist text. I'm sure, 15, I'm sure many 15-year-olds might be more than delighted to learn they're in line for a throne, but Gary Marshall's heroine is deeply troubled with this news and lets everyone know about it. Mia has some major self-esteem issues. She often imagines her life as a popular cheerleader and antagonist, Lana Thomas, and has a hard time speaking in public. Her self-esteem issues really reflects on her decision-making process. Not only is she finding this all out at a very vulnerable age, making it harder for her, but she doesn't believe in herself. Because of this, we watch her take extra time needed to come to the decision. Watching a young girl with such self-esteem troubles and her anxious behaviour overcome these issues, making the decision to become the Princess of Genovia in spite these still prominent issues can create a positive attitude for the young audience. That these conditions and lack of confidence can be overcome, but it's okay that they aren't always cured and to find and finding a way to live with them is always plausible. The Princess Diaries is often disregarded because of its dominantly young female audience and it being based off the young adult book series, but from viewing the movie in particular critical perspectives, readers can see it's in truth multiplex and consists of many elements. We see it reflect our current societal conflicted ideas of regarding gender and diversity. Marshall provides sexist yet feminist aspects to his text. His diverse main character lacks diversity, yet he still displays a real misogyny woman face while he unironically creates sexist scenes in the supposedly feminist text. Overall, I don't truly believe that Princess Diaries is a feminist text, but only disguised as one.